0: If God is near to the brokenhearted, God's people must be too. Anybody notice how many feel emotionally overwhelmed to the point of nearly quitting over the last four years on the earth? Okay, you can look at that and go, man, there's a problem on the earth, or through the lens of Christ, you can look and go, look at the opportunity to show the care of Christ. I believe one of God's favorite ways to save those who are crushed in spirit is to use those whose spirits have been crushed, whom he has already saved. He loves to use the pain we navigate through in this life, receiving the comfort of the Spirit of God, our comforter, so that when we encounter someone who's navigating terrible pain and emotional brokenness, we know how to step in and be present when God is present too. We're continuing our series this weekend on the seven mandates, and for those of you joining us online, I know it might seem like this is a series specifically targeted at our church, but I actually believe that these seven mandates are not just for our church, they are for the capital C church, uh, things his church must be known for. And every week, we're, to make sure we're getting these in our hearts, we're going to walk back through the mandates. So mandate number one, anybody remember what that was? We must be a presence-driven church, right? If God's presence isn't here, this is a stupid warehouse. But when God's presence is here, it is most certainly his house. And we must be a people who carry his presence because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Second mandate was what last week? We must be historically generous. The verbiage matters. Not marginally generous. In order to pull off everything God desires on the earth, we must be historically generous, and we didn't just talk about money, we talked about much more than that. Which leads into mandate number three, which connects to mandate number two. The reason we must be a historically generous church is because we must be, mandate number three, a caring church. The church of God must be known for providing care to those who are hurting and in need. This is how Jesus rolled when he walked on the earth. If you got a Bible, I would love it if you would open up to 1 John 3, put a marker in Romans 15. If you don't have a Bible, don't stress about it. The scriptures will be on the screen and you can follow along. There is a ton of pain and so many needs on the earth. In the day in which we live the question is do we even care like do we actually even care about all the pain and all of the needs here's another question has the church become so afraid of pain that she stays away from the pain of those in dire need here's another question Has the church become so obsessed with excess that we stay away from those who lack and need something which we ourselves have? Great pain and much need are the perfect landscape for God's people to show God's love. That is why one of the highest callings bestowed upon a follower of Christ is to care for others like Christ cared and cares for us. First John chapter three, starting in verse 17, calibrates our hearts and minds around this very thing. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, or anyone in need, and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love even abide in him or her? Little children, Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Now watch how verse 19 is translated in the NLT. Our actions in caring for those in need, our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. I grew up playing basketball. And here's what you need to know about basketball players compared to like baseball players, for instance. A lot of friends who play baseball. Baseball players aren't really yappy, like trash talkers, by and large. While basketball players are the yappiest yappers on planet Earth. If, if basketball players were like a dog, they would be the Shih Tzu. Anybody ever Maltese or a Shih Tzu that kind of gets loud like that? That's us basketball players. And when I was growing up in high school, uh, I, I talked a lot of trash. I was yappy. And I had an older cousin, a year older than me, who was one of the two best high school basketball players in the state of Texas at the time. And I myself couldn't back up my, my talking. But my older cousin could back up all of my talk and then some. And then a funny thing happened. My cousin graduated. And I became a senior. And I didn't really think through the whole I can't back up my talk the way my cousin backs up my talk scenario and so not only did I keep talking because I was now a senior I got even louder you know what I learned very quickly nobody listens to someone who talks and doesn't back it up and God is helping us understand how his kingdom was designed to roll my kingdom is not filled with a bunch of yappy yappers. We cannot walk in and experience the fullness of the power of God by merely talking about it. We have to live it. Jesus sent us, his disciples, not just to talk about his love, but to show his love for people through our love for them. Do we even understand the responsibility that has been bestowed upon us by the God of the universe? We are to love those the world refuses to love in such a way that the whole world gets a revelation of God's love. This is John thirteen thirty-five. They will know you by your love for one another. But what does the love and care of Christ actually look like? To me, the love of Christ looks a little bit like these two words. Tangible care. Tangible, not talky-talky care. I'm not implying that a, a, a sweet and prophetic text, encouraging text, isn't good. I'm saying merely talking. Scripture's clear. Merely talking won't cut it as a follower of Jesus Christ. The love of Christ looks like tangible care. And today's message is meant to serve Kind of like a road map for us to know how to care like Christ. And we're going to talk about the who, the how, and the why of Christians caring like Christ. That brings us to point number one, question number one. Who must we care for? Who must we care for? For. Now, the Bible uses a word that I, I introduced last week to kind of describe who the church must care for. The Bible uses the word poor. And last week, what I helped you understand is that Pillar Church is 100% filled with rich people. Remember part of the definition I gave you last week for poor? Poor is someone who just has less than you. On the other side of that coin, rich is anybody who has more than someone, even if it's just one. So by a show of hands, how many of us have earthly resources as much or more than at least one person on the earth? Hands high, please. Okay, Pillar Church is 100% filled with rich people. Now, before you go too far with that narrative and go, yeah, Pillar, Scottsdale Church, just filled with a bunch of rich people before you go too far with that. I need to tell you the other side of the coin. Pillar Church is 100% filled with poor people. Ready for this week's definition of the word poor? A person with a sizable need in a specific area. By a show of hands. How many of us <laughs> I would put my hand up, too. How many of us have a very sizable need in a very specific area of our lives? Hands up, please? Everybody look around judgmentally? Anyone not raising their hand, we have a term for you. Liar! Here's how we know: There is only one who has no needs. And he is the God of the universe. Everybody else doesn't just have one or two needs. We were created with many needs. And according to scripture, a healthy way to see the word poor, instead of seeing it judgmentally, we're all poor and in need of a savior. Poor just simply means I have a sizable need in a very specific area. Now, I want to walk you through four areas of poverty where I believe the church is meant to provide care. Here's the first area. We're meant to provide care to those who are poor in resource. This is typically what we think about when we think of the word poor, people who don't have the amount of money or resource that they need to be alive. Interestingly enough, Proverbs 19, verse 17, one of many verses where God goes on the record to calibrate our hearts to be more like his heart as it relates to being generous with the poor, says this, whoever is generous to the poor, watch these next four words, lends to the Lord. Whoever is generous with the poor lends to the Lord. And he, the Lord, will repay him or her, the one who is generous with the poor, for his or her deed. Someone who lends speaks of someone who provides a loan. Let me make sure you understand the definition of the word loan. Because remember, person who is generous to the poor makes a loan to God, scripture says. Let me give you the definition of the word loan. A thing that is borrowed, which is expected to be paid back with interest. Let me give you the picture that I hope you have every time you walk by somebody in financial need. Imagine being on a stroll with the God of the universe and you happen to walk by somebody who's in financial need. Here's how I think God would handle it, okay? I'm kind of being sarcastic, but not, all right? Trying to paint the picture for you. According to Proverbs 19, 17. I wonder if God doesn't go like this. Shoot, Preston. I must have forgotten my wallet on the throne. And I really wanted to buy her lunch today to send a message that I see her and I'm in love with her and I am providing for her. <sighs> but I forgot my wallet. I must have dropped it on the streets of gold. Press, <laughs> can I borrow 50 bucks to buy someone I love a special meal today? And according to Proverbs 19:17 he would also say in that moment, hey, I'm good for it. I want you to know, I always pay my tab. I'm good, I will repay you for this. But because I'm asking for a temporary loan, not only will I pay you back, I will pay you back with interest. Now, what if God said, hey, Press, there is a single mom who's about to in 40 days have heaven open up over her, she's about to get the job she's been begging me for for eight years, but she's about to be evicted just before Christmas. Can I borrow 1200 bucks to pay her rent? I will pay you back. Now, you might be thinking, what kind of interest should someone charge the God of the universe? (laughs) Let me help you with this question. I believe God has a group of savages, kingdom savages, when God says, before I ask for this loan, let's establish the terms of the loan. You have two choices for interest. Would you like an immediate return on investment? Or would you like me to put this into an eternal kingdom account? which produces kingdom interest for eternity. God knows he has a wrecking ball of a church when they say, go ahead, I don't need it back now. Put it in my kingdom account. We must be as the church of God, known for the care and generosity of God. Here's the next area where I believe the church is meant to provide care. To those who are poor in relationship. What does that mean? Remember, it just means someone is lacking something they need or desire relationally. If I were to ask you to raise hands, most of us might fit into that category. James chapter 1, verse 27 speaks of two specific types of people, and I'm gonna use one of them as kind of a springboard to describe anybody and everybody who is lacking relationally and desiring more than what they're presently receiving. James one twenty-seven says, pure and genuine, your translation might say undefiled, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans, and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Scholars note that the undefiled religion connects to not allowing the world to corrupt you, but the pure religion connects to caring for orphans and widows in their distress. Interestingly enough, one of the values of our church is innocence. One of the great challenges God has issued our senior pastor is that I must die with clean hands and a pure heart. That's how he will, will determine whether I, or not I was successful, not how big the church gets, not how many people blah, 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 blah. Can I finish with clean hands and a pure heart many, 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 many years from now? Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Only those with clean hands and a pure heart. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. A mighty move of God is coming to the earth, the likes of which mankind has never seen before. It is the move which will precede the second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is going to come through, I believe according to scripture, those painfully endeavoring to live with clean hands and a pure heart. Not perfection. Endeavoring to live with clean hands and a pure heart and god goes on record and says now let me put some flesh on them bones of what pure religion looks like to me preston i am a father to the fatherless and in ephesians 5 verse 1 i told you because you are my child you must be my imitator and because i'm a father to the fatherless saddle up son empty nester, nothing. You know, one of the things I've learned that is painful, and and when scripture uses the word orphan, I know that can be a a triggering word for some and and sound like a very harsh word, but like the word poor, let me give you just a, a sweeter way to see it. An orphan is simply someone, a child whose parents came to a place where they said, I am not able to give the care this child needs and deserves. And so I'm going to do the hard thing and enlist the help of others. But one of the things I've learned walking alongside, going all the way back to my youth ministry days, about children who feel they grew up as orphans and their parents let go of them early on in life, one of the things I have heard fairly consistently from these children, even as adults, are these words. My mommy and daddy gave me up. Did they not love me? Does my mommy not love me? Does my daddy not love me? And if my mommy and daddy don't love me, does anyone love me? And as painful as it is to hear these words, this is supernatural soil for the church of God to stand upon and say, the one true God is not just the God of the universe. He is a father to the fatherless. And watch this. Psalm 68, verse five. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. I gotta show you what I feel like the Lord showed me, kind of sarcastically about this verse. Have you ever seen in a movie or on the news when the king walks into a room and people in the room verbally respond by saying these words, long live the king. I believe part of what God's saying is, Preston, let me give you a picture every once in a while how when I walk into my holy habitation, somebody shouts out, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is our God. Over a thousand little hearts in our state alone may fall asleep tonight crying before a God they don't even believe in saying, does anybody love me? And I don't know if I've ever told you this before, but there is a supernatural anointing on our church to Father the Fatherless. Rolls through our staff from top to bottom, quote unquote. I don't know if you know this, but we have an amazingly sweet couple who has been in our church for years, in their mid-70s, and he's got cancer again. And they are presently fostering, I think either their sixth or seventh child, in the last 18 to 24 months. He's got cancer right now. And last night, they have a six month old. These are the, let me be a little silly and sarcastic, these are the whitest Greek people you're ever going to meet. (laughs) Carrying a six month old, gorgeous African American baby boy. And not only are they fathering the fatherless, they're now fathering his mother because she said, my dream has always been to have parents. 75 years old. Now listen, I know we could make the case fathering the fatherless is not for everybody. I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes. But if that's who our God is, and the children of God are meant to be the imitators of God. Can I tell you, one of the sweetest opportunities to show the love of the Father is to love a child who doesn't think anybody loves him? Who do you think Jesus would have run to? Don't take offense to this, but if I think he had to choose between being in this room with us or running into a room back there with a couple of little boys and little girls who were given up by their parents, and maybe, without even realizing it, hearing the lying narrative of the enemy that no one's ever going to love you, I think Jesus would rush out of this room, sweep those children up, hold them as tightly as possible, and say, let me tell you something about my daddy. He sent me to show you how much I love you. And I am sending my bride to come in behind me and do it too. We must, as the church of God, be known for caring for people who feel emotionally or relationally lost or hurting, broken, in need. One of the purest ways to show love to the Father and show the love of the Father is to father the fatherless. brings us to the third area where I believe we're meant to provide care to those who are poor in health. Sickness, and we're not just talking about the flu. We're talking about serious sickness, borderline grave illness. Luke 4 verse 40, now when the sun was setting and all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought the sick to Jesus. And Jesus laid his hands on every one of them and healed them, now rather than talk about the fact that Jesus healed them all, I wanna draw your attention to the fact that he touched them all. In my opinion, I think the church has gotten a little too comfortable being distant from those who are sick. I wanna try and illustrate this so that you can kind of understand the antithesis of our savior, our savior was and is always close to those who are sick. So I need six people who can jump up on the stage real fast. I need to illustrate this. Doesn't matter, if you can get on the stage, just sick people, don't wait. I'm not calling your name, just jump up here, okay? You're terrible with instruction, by the way. Six people. Yep, and if you'll just line up like this right here. Okay, if you'll line up like this. Like this, we're gonna walk this way if y'all line up. Just over here, over here. I don't know if you know this, but living life on the earth in a fallen world kinda sometimes feels like a rat race. And as long as you're keeping up with everybody, you're probably more prone to experience love from everybody. But you gotta be able to keep up. You gotta be able to kinda stay in the room with them. You gotta be able to be around them. The question is, what happens when one of us can no longer keep up? So I'm going to represent the six, sick person among us. These savages right here, all doing great things in the kingdom. We're all just, we're gonna walk together. It's not a race, let's try and stick together. Everybody's a savage, just dominating. And then, when you know, one of us finds out we have stage three cancer. And here's what happens. Everybody else keeps going. And the person in the hospital who just got the news and is immediately having to go in for treatment, for chemo, is wondering, will anybody come back and show love to me in the form of care? And we kind of underestimate the power of our presence when God is with us. Never underestimate the power. See, I think part of the problem is, The the children of God think it's the responsibility of the priests in the house of God to visit the hospitals and love on the sick. That's not the the sole responsibility of the priests in the house of God. That's the responsibility for every child of God. And here's what happens. The enemy starts picking on somebody in the hospital. You're all alone. See, I've been trying to tell you, nobody cares. And then one person, Cody just started walking towards me. One person, with every reason to keep running, building his business, stops everything he's doing to come sit with sick me, to love on me, to show care for me. My man. Never underestimate when someone feels they are at rock bottom What a gesture like that can do. I see you, I'm with you, you are not alone. I love you, I'm gonna walk through this with you. And then, if you've ever wondered why I and we as a staff try and push every single one of you into a group, you know what's better than one person coming and visiting you in a time of pain and need? It's when your whole group comes back and shows up at the hospital and says, we don't need no stinking pastor. We are with you, and you are not alone, and we love you, and we're gonna care for you. We're gonna sneak food in that you can throw up during your chemo (laughs) treatment. We're with you because we are followers of Jesus Christ, and part of our role on the earth is to care for you the way Christ cares for us. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. The best time to show someone you care is when the world keeps moving, but their world stops. Will anyone care now that I can't keep up? And it is the responsibility of the family of God to show up and say, if you stop, I'm stopping. Because this is what family does. Brings us to the next area. The last of the four areas of poverty, quote-unquote, where I believe the church is meant to provide care. Not an exhaustive list, but the four I'm bringing to you today. Those who are poor in spirit. This is those, I believe, who feel emotionally overwhelmed. So to make everybody feel a little more comfortable about this subject, anyone presently feel a touch emotionally overwhelmed? Okay? I don't know if you know this, but... Overwhelming emotion, borderline, what we would even call depression, if not full-on depression, is all throughout scripture with the mighty men and women of God. Let me show you. First Samuel chapter one, Hannah is so overwhelmed with sadness from not being able to get pregnant that she stops eating. In Ruth chapter one, Naomi is so overwhelmed emotionally after her husband and son's deaths that she tries to change her name to bitter. Job chapter three, Job is so heartbroken over all that he had just lost that he curses the day of his birth. 2 Samuel chapter 13, Tamar battled depression for the rest of her life after being raped by her own brother. Numbers chapter 11, Moses, a friend of God, was so troubled he asked God to kill him. Jonah chapter four, Jonah was so angry at God that he asked God to kill him. First Kings 19, Elijah is so emotionally overwhelmed by failure and fear that he asked God to kill him. Anybody notice how many feel emotionally overwhelmed to the point of nearly quitting over the last four years on the earth? Okay, you can look at that and go, man, there's a problem on the earth or through the lens of Christ, you can look and go, look at the opportunity to show the care of Christ. It's everywhere. Psalm 34 verse 18 shows us what Jesus does when someone is hurting emotionally and broken. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. If God is near to the brokenhearted, God's people must be too. One of the most incredible ways to show the heart of the Father is to sit with those whose hearts feel shattered. I believe one of God's favorite ways to save those who are crushed in spirit is to use those whose spirits have been crushed whom he has already saved. That's 2 Corinthians 1 verse 4. God shows us comfort in our affliction so we will know how to show comfort to others when they are experiencing affliction. He loves to use the pain we navigate through in this life, receiving the comfort of the Spirit of God, our comforter, so that when we encounter someone who's navigating terrible pain and emotional brokenness, we know how to step in and be present when God is present too. There's opportunity everywhere. It brings us to the second question. So if that's the who, what's the how? How must we care? If you put a marker in Romans 15, let's read the first three verses. Shows us three things I believe we must carry as we care like Christ. Romans chapter 15, verse one says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, to help carry their weight, and not to please ourselves. Interestingly enough, Romans 15 verse 1 is helping us understand we can't help others if we're only trying to please ourselves. Verse 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good. That's the second thing, a blessing. We must carry a blessing. Then here's the third thing, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. The first of these three things that I believe we must carry as we care like Christ, we must carry a burden. We must walk with a burden for the hurting. Galatians chapter, two, uh, chapter 6 verse 2 says, Share each other's burdens, and in this way obey the law of Christ. Okay. Okay i need two people to jump up here really fast all right just two more people yep great that's one two psalm 68 verse 19 says blessed be the lord who daily bears us up holds us up holds our weights up with us See, the reason I think most of us don't carry the burden of those who are burdened is we have forgotten what God does with our burdens. So let me illustrate, okay? You and I are going to go on a little walk and a friend over here is under an immense weight, okay? Now, would you show us whatever physical manifestation, uh, whatever you look like under a really, really excruciatingly heavy weight, what would that look like for you, okay? Scrape, great, he's a squatter, you can tell. My guy put, my guy squats plates, I can already tell. Okay, you see your brother under a lot of weight? Okay, I'm God, you are under a lot of weight. So what would you look like carrying a lot of weight? Okay, we're on a walk. As the God of the universe, someone I love who is over there and slightly distant from me. Under an immense amount of weight, I want to get a message from me of how much I love and care for him by helping with his weight. So here's what I'm gonna do. Jesus says, all who are weary and heavy laden, burdened down by heavy things, come to me and I'll give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is Jesus saying? I'm going to help carry your weight so that I divinely create some bandwidth for a purpose. And the question is, now that I have lifted off some of your heavy weights, what are you going to do with the extra bandwidth? And here is God's desire, that as I help you carry your weight, you in turn go to your brother who is weighed down and burdened and help him carry his. See, I think we, we hear that verse from Jesus. I'll help carry your burdens. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we just go, man, Jesus is so good. But do we ask the question, but why do you do it, Jesus? And he says, and the way I bear you up, I want you to bear the burdens up with your brethren, with your sister in. Thanks, guys. Appreciate that. God carries our burdens so we can help carry the burdens of others. Second thing we must carry. As we care, we must care with a blessing. Luke 3, verses 9, 10, and 11. Jesus says, every tree, therefore, does not bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, well, what then shall we do? And Jesus answered them. Here's what they're saying. Jesus says, hey, If you don't bear good fruit, you're going to be thrown into the fire. And the crowds kind of freak out and go, oh, my word, what does this look like? What does producing good fruit look like? And listen to what Jesus says in response. Here's how simple it is. Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Here's another way to say it. Share what you have with those who don't have enough of what you have. Now remember, the one who has more than the one who has less is not more important or more valuable. They are simply more responsible. To whom much is given, much is required. It would kind of be like if if your parents were going out of town and you're the oldest of three siblings and your parents said, here's 300 bucks to take care of meals and gas while we're gone. And you're 19, you're in college, and you are as broke as a mug. And when you get the 300 bucks, your first thought is, I've got needs. Like I gotta take this 300 bucks and apply it to my needs. Forget about my siblings. I need this 300 bucks. Okay, here's what a child of God looks like who thinks all of their money and resource is not just theirs, but it's meant to be selfishly spent on themselves. It's like the child who was meant to care for their siblings and says, I'm sorry, my need is too great to care for others. I'm going to use it all on myself. Here's what Jesus is saying. That's not how I roll. And that sends the wrong message. The people of God are the most blessed people on the planet. And I'm not just talking about money. What would you call it when you are plucked from the fire and do not have to spend eternity in the fiery flames of hell? What would you call that? A blessing. Even more than that, what would you call it if you're not just removed from the fiery flames of hell, but you're given the opportunity to walk with the God of the universe in his manifest, tangible presence for eternity. The people of God are so blessed, our blessings cannot be enumerated. And that's why we must be known as people who always carry with us a blessing. We must carry a burden, we must carry a blessing. And then here's the third thing. We must carry a road map. The family of God doesn't just do hands out. Here you go, here's a handout. We also do a hand up, and that's where education comes in. Colossians 3.16 says, "'Let the word of Christ dwell in you,' speaking to believers, "'richly.'" Should the word of Christ dwell in every believer, Yes or no? Who says yes? Okay, great. Yes, this is talking to believers. Watch what it says next. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, every believer. Also speaking to every believer, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Here's something I believe about the family of God that I'm not sure everybody understands about the family of God. Everybody in the family of God should be teaching somebody something. I get there's the office of a teacher. But we all have the responsibility to teach. (coughs) Sorry. There's something you know, which I do not know. I don't care how much younger you are than me. There is something God has taught you. There is a measure of wisdom God has bestowed upon you as his child that I have not yet received. I want to know what you know. This is why in a couple of weeks we're going to talk about it, but you're going to see our church throw down the gauntlet as it relates to disciples, disciples discipling disciples. I'm coming after you. Here's why. Because God has deposited something on the inside of you and somebody in this room needs what he's given you. And I'm going to make sure we do our part to make it as easy as possible to get it out of you and into them. I don't care what it is to teach. We are gonna be teaching around here. Teaching and admonishing one another. Everybody, not just the pupils. Proverbs 26 verse 11 says, as a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. Vivid picture, a wonderful reminder. Have you ever seen somebody repeatedly make the same mistake over and over and over again? Can I help you understand something? If you see them repeatedly make the same mistake over and over again and you don't help get them a roadmap to break that cycle and get out of that circle, back to their vomit, you are complicit in their foolishness. So if you can't be the one to teach them find someone who can teach them but don't leave them in the circle we must be generous and give handouts but we can't stop there we can't just throw baby showers for single moms who boldly and courageously decide not to abort their baby give them lots of gifts all their their baby shower gifts that's amazing we must also help educate them to break generational cycles. Can I get an amen? This brings us to the third question, and we're going to take communion together. Why must we care? I do this from time to time. I tricked you, and I didn't even tell you. Our text didn't start actually with 1 John three seventeen. It actually starts with 1 John 3, 16. And it's fascinating to me that the most famous verse in all the world is what? John 3:16, which tells us what Jesus came to do for us. But 1 John 3:16 goes one step further and connects the dots for those of us who are followers of Christ. Watch it. 1 John 3, verse 16. By this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us. Sounds a lot like John 3:16 until this next part. And we, as followers of Christ, ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, for everyone else. If you got the communion elements, I want you to go ahead and take out the bread. If you didn't get the elements and you'd like to participate in communion with us, just raise your hand, we'll make sure you get them. All we ask, you don't have to be a member of Pillar, but you do need to be a member of the family of God And I know that when we typically take communion, what we focus on is what Jesus did for us and we always should. But I think every once in a while, we shouldn't just focus on John 3.16 when we take communion. I think we need to focus a little bit more on 1 John 3.16. That the call of every Christ follower is to lay down there's somebody right here lay down our lives the way jesus laid his down for us see i think we get so excited jesus thank you so much thank you and we should thank you so much jesus for laying your life down for me but i don't think the conversation was ever meant to stop there there's a dot 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 preston And I want you to personalize it for you just like I am for me. Preston, that's not how this story ends. In my first coming, I laid my life down. But what's going to precipitate my second coming is those I laid my life down for coming together like never before and not just endeavoring but committing to lay their lives down the same way I laid mine down for them. And then I will come. I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes, don't take the bread yet. That night as Jesus sitting with his disciples, before he was about to obediently go all the way to the point of death, Jesus took the bread and broke it and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Every time you eat this bread, I want you to remember me. I want you to remember my why. It's because greater love had no man than to lay his life down for his friend. I willingly laid my life down for my beloved. But as my follower, I'm also calling you to live like me. The Father did not put you on this earth to live for yourself. You were bought with a price and you no longer belong to yourself. In the same way, I laid aside my divine privileges to lay my life down for you. I want you to remember, I need you to lay your life down for them. The same way I did for you, Jesus. As we take this bread into our bodies, I pray something supernatural would happen. I pray, Spirit of God, that you would bestow upon us and place within us a new and ever increasing burden to live like Jesus and to lay our lives down for others. And I also pray, Spirit of the Living God that a new and immeasurable anointing would come upon every single one of us as we take this bread into our bodies, committing to live like Jesus. Jesus, thank you for laying your life down for us. Now, Spirit of God, would you anoint us to live like Jesus? Let's take the bread. In the same way, that night Jesus took the cup. He said, this is my blood which is shed for you, for the remission of sins. Every time you drink from this cup, I want you to remember me, Preston. I didn't shed some blood, I shed all my blood. Because if I wouldn't have shed all my blood, if I would have just kept one drop, then even just one of your sins might not be covered. And all it would have taken to be eternally separated from me, my Father, and the Spirit, be that one sin and so i bled out and every time you drink from this cup i want you to remember my blood in part represents the forgiveness of the father and in the same way the father has forgiven you i'm asking you to forgive everyone around you jesus as we take this cup this juice into our bodies I pray for an ever-increasing burden and an immeasurable anointing to come upon us to live more like Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for shedding your blood so that we can be forgiven and spend forever with the Father. Now, as we take this cup, may your burden for a lost and broken world come upon us like never before. And may we forgive just as we have been forgiven. Let's take the cup. Would you stand? And as you stand, for those of you on the left side of your row, if you just grab the trash bucket and pass it down so we can keep the sanctuary clean. I wanna invite our prayer team to come to the front. Do you need prayer for anything at all, whether it's about the message or not? After I dismiss, come get what you need. Especially though, if you feel there's an obstacle getting in the way of you living like Jesus, would you please do yourself a favor and come set it on fire at the altar of God? The altar is where things go to die. To be burned up so as to never revisit again. That's one of the definitions of the word repentance. If there's anything getting in the way of you living like Jesus, Do what you got to do before you leave. And if you've never met Jesus before and experienced him, not just as Lord and Savior, but best friend, please don't leave today. That feeling you're feeling, your heart racing a little bit, you don't even know what you're feeling, none of us did when we first felt it either. Let me tell you what it is. The Spirit of the Living God is in this room, and the reason He came was He knew you would be here. I would be nothing without Jesus. I would be a head case without Jesus. I would be broken without Jesus. I'm a broken head case even with Jesus sometimes. But I couldn't live without my best friend. And I don't care what narrative you've heard about Jesus or our God. But if it doesn't bring a tear to your eyes, you haven't heard the full story of who Jesus is. if you'd like to meet him today, come talk to one of my friends. And they will lead you in a very simple but eternity-changing prayer, not just life-changing. If you need prayer for anything at all, come get what you need, all right? We'll pray a blessing and we'll be dismissed. God, thank you. Thank you for loving each one of them so much. You've proved it in such a variety of ways, they can't even count them all. Now God, I pray as they leave your house today, may they be sent ones, sent by and with the Spirit of God to go out into the world and to love and live like Jesus. Spirit of the living God, I pray you'd come upon them in such a way that you would anoint them to carry heavy burdens You would anoint them to see the pain and hurt. You would anoint them to sit with those who feel broken and ready to quit. I pray you would anoint them to see the needs of the people around them and every opportunity you set before them to show the world the love of the Father by living like Jesus. Thank you God for not forcing them or making them to do it on their own. You partner with them to do it through them. Now, Spirit of God, come upon your people and send them out to wreak havoc on the kingdom of darkness. In Christ's mighty name, amen. Amen.